This is an ABC podcast. We can end the climate wars. Rugged up up top, tiny little booty shorts. Oh, I sold a kidney to buy that jacket. I was riding a lot of fences. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. We're getting closer to the end of the week, but we're basically there anyway because it's the shake-up on Hack. And we're looking back on all things 2022 this week. And today, it's time for a big one. We're talking politics. Hack. A horrible, horrible person. I think that a majority of the politicians are only looking out for themselves. Can you tell me the price of a loaf of bread? Now, I'm not going to pretend to you. I go out each day and I buy a loaf of bread. I think it's 5.4. So, I'm not sure what it is. Google it, mate. On Triple J. Yeah, big gun topics, big gun guests to break it all down. I could describe them as political nerds, but hey, I don't want to offend anyone, so I'll call them political enthusiasts. And first, smartguy.com over here, WA's former Liberal leader, Zach Kirkup. <laughs> Zach, welcome back to the shake-up. It's your last shake-up of the year. It is, Dave. Thanks very much for having me. Are you a political nerd? I'm happy with that. I'll take that. Okay, good. I just yeah. want to check. I just want to check. And another yeah. one who may be happy with it as well, Guardian Australia's Matilda Bosley. How are you, Matilda? I, excuse me. I'm extremely cool. Uh, I'm, like, very into politics, but, like, in a really hip way. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly how it goes. Yeah, of mm, course. Yeah. Of course. No, no, I was getting that energy. I was just saying mm. that just to, you know, just to troll you a bit. But we know you guys are the coolest out there. And... We're talking the coolest topic out there, politics. And you know what? I must say, there's a lot to get into about the year that's been, but there's actually been a whole lot blowing up today. So let's get a bit of a check-in. It is the biggest urban myth ever. That you pooch pants happened. at the Engadine McDonald's? It's pants, 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 On Triple J. Well, come on, maybe the news isn't that big, but it's still pretty important. So we've got breaking news out of Canberra, the Savo. The government called a snap reconvening of Parliament today. And just before we came on air, new laws passed that aim to make our power prices cheaper. Hacks political reporter Shalala Medora is here to explain. Hey, Shalala, what are these new laws all about? So, Dave, to explain these laws, we've got to go all the way back to October to the federal budget. Now, you may remember at the time there were these dire predictions about these huge energy price um, price hikes. So up to 56% for increases in electricity and 44% in gas. And the government said it couldn't give us cash to offset those costs because that would add to inflation. So instead what they came up with was this mechanism to sort of interfere with the market a little bit. On Friday, Anthony Albanese met with the heads of the states and territories to nut out a plan on just how to make that happen and they decided what they'd do is put a cap on the price of gas and make it easier for people on income support like JobKeeper to get a little bit of assistance to help offset the increases that we're expecting. But to do that, he had to call a sneaky little reconvening of the Senate and the House of Reps, which is what we saw today, to pass those laws. Just before we got on air, those laws did pass, but they passed without the help of the coalition, which is the Liberal and the National parties. They were opposed to it because they didn't like that um, price cap. They didn't like market intervention. So they said, we're not going to vote for it. But in the end, it didn't really matter anyway, because they had the numbers, the government had the numbers to pass it with Senator David Pocock and also with Jackie Lambie and her colleagues. So they had the numbers in the end anyway. Right. Okay. There's also been a bit happening this week on the RoboDebt Royal Commission. What's happening there? Can you give us a bit of an update? 
Yeah, so this week some key members of the former government appeared before those hearings, including Scott Morrison. Now, Scott Morrison wasn't just the former Prime Minister. He was also Social Services Minister at the time that robo-debt was being formulated. It was, let's say, a little bit of a tense hearing. Uh, The commissioners interjected quite a few times to try and get Mr Morrison to actually answer a question. There was lots of, like, let me add this and and let me tell you this and, and lots of, like, can you please stick to the question? So it was quite a tense and difficult listen at times. But the key question, the biggest question that Scott Morrison was was being asked to answer was whether or not legal legal concerns were raised with him from the Department of Social Services about the legality of robo-debt. There were documents saying that the department had questioned its legality well before it actually became policy, but Mr Morrison insisted that those concerns weren't raised with him when he was Social Services Minister. The robo-debt inquiry has, it will wrap up, it'll wrap up tomorrow for the year, but it is going to reconvene again next year. We don't know who we're going to appear at that at this point before that um, inquiry, but we could, could well see other members of the coalition government being asked to appear. Interesting stuff. We know you're going to stay across it. Shalila, we'll be hearing again from you soon. Thank you very much for that. But time to get back into the shake-up now. And joining me on the panel, former WA Liberal leader, also writes for the National Indigenous Times, Zach Kirkup, and Matilda Bosley from Guardian Australia. Hey guys, I wanted to ask you, Matilda, we'll start with you. Just before we get into the other stuff of the year, what did you think of Scott Morrison's evidence at the Robo-Debt Royal Commission? Look, I mean, I think, yeah, difficult, uh, difficult, uh, tense watch um, is is kind of an apt way of describing it, you know. I mean, uh, I, I think obviously we kind of need to see all, everything that comes out, but um, I think once again, you know, I... There, I, I think once Morrison was out of office and we had, again, that sort of a, a whole scandal about, you know, secret ministries and stuff, I think the patience for the way Morrison sort of prevents, presents himself and the, you know, the taking the long way around answering the question uh, is probably at an all-time low. And I think really, if anything, this is, you know, even beyond the content, really reminded people of that aspect that they uh, weren't too fond of when it came to Morrison. For sure. Zach, it's almost like we're seeing more of Scott Morrison now than we were during the election (laughs) campaign, almost, but he's still in the headlines quite a bit. Yeah, he seems to be. I mean, I saw the um, footage of the Royal Commission hearing yesterday. I don't know. I'm, I, you know, I I think what happened to Scott Morrison, the voters don't get the election's wrong. I think um, that happened, you know, over here in Western Australia where I lost my own district and lost the election. That's the underlying principle I approach these things on. And I think, uh, the voters didn't get get it wrong at the last election. I think the the Royal Commission hearing yesterday probably validated a lot of those <laughs> votes. But also, I do feel a bit awkward about a former Prime Minister being sort of, you know, uh, hounded like that. I mean, I, I realise they've got to be accountable for decisions made in government, but he also lost his lost government as well. So I feel like I, I know I'm not I'm not rallying to his defence by any stretch, but I do find it a bit odd that we sort of have these Royal Commissions after the event. I think. Um, you know, sometimes it can look like we're sort of playing politics with a very, very serious issue. And I think there's a risk when you see the Royal Commission push a little harder like that sometimes that it can be seen to be a little too sort of political in in motivation. Right. Well, a lot of chat about personalities. We've been hearing about it all year because it was the big issue since the election campaign uh, in May. And let's not forget the campaign took up a whole heap of the first bit of the year because even before it was officially underway, Anthony Albanese, Scott Morrison were out there crisscrossing the country trying to get your votes. A lot of stuff went down, a lot of stuff. 
Shalila's back with a bit of a reminder. Earlier today, I visited His Excellency the Governor-General and advised him to call an election for the House of Representatives and half of the Senate on May 21. And just like that, they were off. We started with a few gaffes. What's the national unemployment rate? Like Anthony Albanese not knowing a key economic indicator. I think it's 5.4. Sorry, I'm not sure what it is. And Scott Morrison crash tackling a child during a soccer game. You good? You good? Know that I can be a bit of a bulldozer when it comes to issues, and I suspect you guys know that too. Mr. Morrison copped flack for this response to a question from a mum of a child with a disability. Jenny and I have been blessed. We've got two children that don't haven't had to go through that. And Mr Albanese had to pause his campaign after catching COVID. It means the opposition leader will have to isolate for seven days, just as the election campaign was beginning to pick up momentum. There was a lot of chest beating, finger pointing. Okay. So when they we need to stop you there. Can you please? And name calling too. Mr Albanese showed yesterday that he is a complete loose unit on this stuff. Scott Morrison always goes missing and he always blames someone else. But not a lot by way of policy. The Libs promised to let people dip into their super to buy a house. A re-elected coalition government will allow first-home buyers to invest a responsible portion of their own superannuation savings into their first home. And Labor continued to call for a strong anti-corruption commission. Scott Morrison's government fails the integrity test. Scott Morrison was accused of launching a scare campaign on asylum seekers with this election day shocker. I've been here to stop this boat, but in, in, in order for me to be there to stop those that may come from here, you need to vote Liberal and Nationals day? today. But in the end, it didn't work anyway. I am humbled by this victory and I'm honoured to be given the opportunity to serve as the 31st Prime Minister of Australia. You're listening to Hack on Triple J. Yeah, you are listening to Hack. It's The Shake Up. I'm Dave Marchese. We're chatting the year in politics with former WA Liberal leader Zach Kirkharp, Guardian Australia's Matilda Bosley. And I want to hear from you too. How do you feel about the state of Australian politics now compared with this time last year? Are you impressed? Are you disappointed? Call in 1300 555 You can message in as well 0439 Hey, Zach, listening to that recap, it's a lot. Can you believe we're more than six months out of the election? No, and I'm so glad it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was wild. It was a lot going on. It was a lot going on. What about you, Matilda? Did that give you any terrifying flashbacks? Oh, there was so many things that I had forgotten about there, but I I think the most terrifying thing is when you just said six months because yeah. I genuinely today had put in a uh, story, the new government had a bit of a note back being like, they're not that new, are they? <laughs> That's uh, but interesting. But still in my mind, I'm very much like it's the week after the election. Yeah, and I mean, and we're still hearing it from the government. Anytime they're questioned on anything, you'll often hear, oh, well, we've only been in government, you know, for this amount of time. And, you know, there's a, a lot of members of the public would probably sympathise with that initially. But, Zach, how much longer can you keep that up? Yeah, I don't, you can't keep it up, you know, sort of post-Christmas, I think, is now when the honeymoon will will end. T- to be fair, I think, um, I mean, I, I was a fairly big critic of uh, the now Prime Minister, but when he was Labor, Labor, opposition leader, Anthony Albanese, I think he's done a, a really good, solid job. Um, I think, though, the... the feeling that people have, the sort of goodwill uh, will, uh, you know, sort of 
I think, come to an end after after Christmas. I mean, ultimately, um, they haven't done anything particularly nefarious to, to carry the news too long, any sort of scandal or anything like that. But really, once 2023 starts, I think Matilda's kind of right there. That vibe ultimately will start to come to an end and people will want to see them dig in properly. If- You've already started to see some, some uh, I think, a really poor decision in relation to the scrapping of the 20, um, you know, mental health support, psychological support um, rebates from Medicare being, that's been a bit of an issue that's sort of caught up and caught fire, I think. And yeah. I think these those types of issues now will start to hound them into the new year and they've got to stay on top of them. And we saw a bit of a revolt there from Labor's backbench and a lot of young people upset about that particular decision. In the campaign, there, it was a lot about personalities and Anthony Albanese lost a lot of ground early on with gaffes and just this image that he wasn't ready and that was really being pushed by the coalition as well. Now that he's actually Prime Minister, do you think we're seeing a different side of him, Matilda, or do you think that it was just the media kind of portrayal of him that he wasn't as confident. Or when you get to become Prime Minister, do you just become a heaps confident person? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, look, it's just a little extra spring in your step. Um, I think probably Albanese is doing one of the best things that he can probably do at the moment. And, you know, just in terms of... I think it's obviously different for us who are in the the political bubble all the time. But for for others, just kind of not uh, being constantly in the headlines, if you know what I mean. Like being kind of vanilla is one of the best things you can do sometimes as a politician, especially once since we've come off, you know, a several year long run of constant talk about, you know, Morrison's doing this and there's this scandal going on and there's something else. And, you know, there was constant press conferences and it feels like there was like a big event in politics at all times. So, you know, potentially, I don't think it even needs to so much be a matter of does he feel sort of prepared uh, enough? Oh, I mean, like, I think you just need to be confident enough that people can feel like they just don't have to worry and think about politics all the time, which, you know, probably isn't good for, like, democracy. But in terms of, um, you know, skating by the first few years and then ramping up and so they're not absolutely sick of you when it comes to the election campaign, I think that's something that, that Morrison did definitely... Uh, suffer from in that, you know, we'd already had two years of him talking to us every day by the time it came to election time. (laughs) Interesting. We've got some messages coming through. Someone says, politicians haven't done enough to address issues affecting young Australians. Cost of living, rental crisis, first home buyers. The only change between the parties is personality differences. Linda in Frio says, the new government feels like the adults are back in charge. Another person says, Scott Morrison's appearance at the RoboDebt Inquiry reminded everyone who he is and why he cannot change. Zach, I wanted to ask you about the secret ministry business involved Scott Morrison, that all came to light. Were you surprised by that when it when it came out? What was oh, I thought it was te- I thought it was terrible. <laughs> I thought it was shockingly bad um, politics and really poor decision making. Especially, I mean, I'll I'll let anyone any government do what they thought was necessary during that sort of COVID peak when it first happened. It happened over here in Western Australia. We had to work. I had to work very closely with the the government at the day then to get, you know, emergency legislation passed and all this business to make sure we could continue to operate government. But then the subsequent swearing in of those other ministries, a year and a half, I think it was, down the line after COVID really came into the, you know, into our attention and impacted the country, I just, I thought it was, was really poor form. What I mean, did you think of the Liberal Party's uh, reaction to it? Because there's been a lot of criticism there, like of senior Liberal MPs sticking by Scott Morrison after these revelations 
Some are saying they should have been condemning him, not, you know, yeah. sticking by him and propping him up. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I, I think they should be uh, speak how they probably feel. I mean, I've, I've spoken to a, a, a number of them who public statements are probably not reflected over their, their private statements, I'll put it that way. The, the reality is I think they'd felt like they had to stand by the former government rather than, you know, they've already been turfed out, right? So got, you don't want to kick a dog when it's down per se. But it was just incredibly poorly handled and really reinforced people's, you know, you know, objection to to the former Prime Minister Scott Morrison. I, I, I don't know. I, I genuinely thought it was a, a bizarre um, situation after the event. During COVID, sure, do what you need to do to secure the country. But the subsequent swearing in, you know, a year and a bit after, I just thought just poor, poor form. I was really shocked, honestly, Dave. I, I, I can't. I, it, I couldn't fathom it. Okay, interesting. Got some messages coming through. Someone says, Mortimer says, I respect the fact this government doesn't turn everything into the culture wars, but give them time, I suppose. <laughs> That's what Mortimer says. Another person says, ah, so should uh, we do the Royal Commission before the event like they do in the Minority Report? Oh, that's someone talking about Zach's oh, yeah. comments on the Royal Commission. <laughs> Another person says, just quickly on Albo, he promised us a DJ set in an interview with Triple J before the election. Now I want to hear it. Hey, look, we'll do our best. If the Prime Minister wants to come on. Obviously, there's always an open microphone for him here. Matilda, what do you think about all of this research that came out recently showing that Scott Morrison was the least popular major party leader ever and Anthony Albanese was the most popular major party leader since Kevin Rudd in 2007? What do you think it is that's making Anthony Albanese appear so popular? Um, not being Scott Morrison. Um, <laughs> no, but, like, to be honest, like, you know, we're no, no one's sort of unbelievably inspired and awestruck by, by Elbo. Um, uh, apologies he seems to be doing pretty are. well. Yeah, I mean, I think so. look, yeah, perhaps I'm, I'm underestimating him, but I think definitely, again, like, w- what we saw from COVID was this absolute sort of domination of personality because you know, because they had to be at a press conference every day, and whether that's federal politicians or premiers, and you've seen it work really well um, for some premiers, and I'm, I'm so sorry to mention this, Zach. Thanks, but, Matilda. Um, a Thank little, you. Uh, <laughs> maybe somewhere off west, a little McGowan. Um, uh, you know, uh, had a, a bit of a historic win. Again, I'm sorry uh, for your... Uh, Feels great. Up. You're um, making it worse, yeah, Matilda. Yeah, yeah. You're making it worse. Move oh, on, move on, move on. I'm moving on, I'm moving on, I'm moving on, I'm moving on. But what I was going to say was uh, that... You saw for some people this worked really well. Like if you have the kind of charisma and the know-all to, you know, be someone that you can trust. But I think what we saw is that Morrison definitely can assume that role. Morrison can really be, you know, that I've got this all under control and it's sorted. But when you've got the states doing their own thing and genuinely showing like we're in a federation, we don't necessarily have to listen to you, I think that strikes very differently, that kind of somewhat paternal tone. Um, But, and so I think it kind of became that and then that's something that just ran with it and then, you know, there were more scandals and there were, you know, we talk about Elbow's gaffe. There was plenty of gaffes that that Morrison made as well, you know, talking about the, the... talking to the parents of the child with the disability and, oh, yeah. you know, where, the what handling of the women's march and sort of saying, you know, there's there's countries where people would be, you know, shot down for protesting, which, you know, w- the way that that came across was not great. And so I think once you've got this kind of 
questionable situation to be in where, like, his general vibe and tone just wasn't working because the states were overpowering him, essentially, at every turn. I think that kind of just became a bit of a, a, a down downward slide, really. You know, so many people with different opinions on the text line right now, someone says, regardless of whether people think Scott Morrison, what he did was wrong, what were the actual implications of him taking on the portfolios or is everyone just angry over a storm in a teacup? That's Dean's opinion there. Another person says, I can't help but feel that Albo has a bit of a weak image compared to other world leaders in these unsteady times. In saying that, he's been better than I expected considering I didn't want him in. Another person says, we don't need controversy we don't need rhetoric or showmanship. We just need someone who's going to work for the majority of Aussies. And another person, it's amazing how the rhetoric changed with the new government from the old liberal scare tactics to optimising and hope. Zach, we had some research out also showing a big shift away from the coalition. Millennials and Gen Z abandoning the coalition in big numbers. How are the Libs going to deal with this? Because this does seem like a huge problem. And, you know, we had the former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull on recently. We asked him and he said, oh, look, it's not just young people, it's this and that. But it didn't seem like there was much attention focused on how to win back young people. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually really genuinely worried about that. I think that the, and I say this as a, you know, someone as a former leader of, of a party that I've spent more than half my life a part of, um, and I and I, I believe in the importance of the Liberal Party, like I believe in the importance of the Labor Party in in making sure our country can sort of progress in the in the right direction. I'm really concerned about it because that that report by the I think it was the Australian Electoral Studies Institute yeah. shows that the Libs are becoming increasingly irrelevant and effectively what that shows is that at the sort of you know the uh, more the older generations those baby boomers we're losing them at a rapid rate and not only we're we losing their vote but obviously as they get older they unfortunately pass away so the base of the liberal party continues to to really sort of evaporate and i i don't actually know where where or how we're going to get through this it's going to take you know we're we're at incredible lows in victoria here in in western australia in the federal parliament, in terms of just elected representatives. The problem that I, I foresee, and I say this as someone who's certainly a moderate in my party, is that there's a real risk that we just appeal to the only base that we have left in the party, which in some instances might be a very conservative base. And I, I think the conservatives play a very important role. But as John Howard would say, the benefit of the Liberal Party is that we have moderates and conservatives, and there's always a good tension between us. The problem that I have is that more moderates are leaving, they're going to the teals. You see that already in, in the uh, federal parliament. The, the Liberal Party continues to shy away. We've got um, from the interests of young people, I've got the Victor- sorry, the national vice president of the Liberal Party saying that, you know, the, the young people need to go into national service, really disconnected. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, I'm, I, we are very historic lows for, for my party, for the Liberal Party, which for listeners out there, some might feel like that's a great thing, sure. Uh, but the reality is that for a healthy, flourishing democracy, you need strong parties to hold governments to account to put good policy together. I just think we've got to we're going to go through a lot of rebuilding um, in in key states, and you know that's not you know we'll wait and see what happens in New South Wales. But there's a long way to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got a few fans on the text line who are backing you up here. We've got Miles in Perth saying, Zach, please come back to WA politics. Yeah. <laughs> you are totally screwed over and the party and the state need you, mate. And no, don't worry, generous. Matilda, we've got some messages for you too saying she's not a political nerd, she's a political hipster. So hipster. there you go. Hey, look, the the budget was a big one that we talked a lot about on Hack this year, but I'm wondering what is your report card on the new Albanese government? Are you impressed? Are you disappointed? Let us know. 0439757555. Hack. The government's climate change bill 
bill passed the Senate, 37 votes for 30. In the world of climate change action, Australia is back. The National Party has made a position that we will not support the voice. The National Party is writing itself off for the future. Order, there being 35 ayes and 31 noes, the matter is resolved in the affirmative. When you change the government, you change the country. And the National Anti-Corruption Commission will change our country forever. The government will move to censure Scott Morrison for failing to disclose his appointments to a number of ministries to the parliament and public. I do not apologise for taking action. The Commonwealth will provide up to $1.5 billion to provide support for households and also small businesses. On Triple J. Yeah, this is The Shake-Up on Hackham Dave Marchese. We're looking back on the year in politics. I've got Guardian Australia's Matilda Bosley and former WA Liberal leader Zach Kirkup with me to discuss. Hey, Matilda, what do you think your biggest kind of moment was for the Albanese government? There were a few things that they've managed to pass the parliament. We heard some breaking news before, but was there one thing in particular that you were like, oh, that was kind of impressive or I wasn't expecting that? Um, I think, honestly, some of the stuff, I mean, you know, obviously everything to do with the voice, I think, really hit a chord and people feel like that's been, uh, you know, if, if, if I think the general vibe that I've got from people is they, they feel like it's in safe hands. It's still, you know, a, a bit of a way off. Um, I, I also think there's been some moments of doubt, right, where, you know, the Labor Party, for a lot of, for a lot of young people who have never voted in an, like, never been kind of politically aware during a Labor government. It's been years and years and years. Uh, I think there's maybe a bit of growing pains where it comes to, oh, it actually is a centre-left party, not the left party, uh, you know, and we've seen that sort of when we're talking about the tax cuts, we've seen that when we're talking about, um, you know, the mental health, um, not extending the extra additional 10 subsidised sessions. We've seen that when it comes to, you know, um, lukewarm, somewhat pun intended, climate policies. So I think there's been some moments of like, oh, wow, sure. But, you know, I think they've also been put in a hard position where they had to have, you know, a fairly laid back budget, uh, nothing, you know, particularly stunning there, but also uh, the, the, the moderate nature of the party, I think, is is coming out. And I think, uh, I think perhaps there was a bit of a feeling of, things are going to go much more kind of left-leaning. And I wonder whether we would have been able to keep the excitement, you know, whether they would have been able to sort of maintain that more if they just had, you know, one or two headlines about, you know, climate change. And I think they just haven't really hit home yeah. the... Which which feels like a loss because the Liberal Party is in such shambles. You know, it's not like they, they desperately need to stick to the middle at least, you know, for the next six months or whatnot. Interesting point, um, Matilda. Yeah. Zach Kirkup, just quickly, the First Nations voice stuff, there's already mm. a lot of talk around it. The Nationals coming out saying they're against it. Are you worried this is going to become a really messy debate in the year ahead? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still very uncertain about that. I say that, you know, with, with my family's own Indigenous heritage. I, I know right for the National Indigenous Times, my company employs 40 Indigenous people. I, I, I worry about it. Um, the, on the highlight, just very quickly, I think El- Anthony Albanese has almost been like a bit of a political unicorn. He's done a really great job in a, in a short period of time. And I'll obviously conscious of time, Dave, but the, in July, I think it was, at Gama, 
the Prime Minister made an exceptional speech in relation to The Voice. He talked about it being, you know, that, that we're going to answer Australia's, I think it was that gracious and patient call for respect and unity or, or language or something like that. Beautiful words that sort of was much more about uniting the country behind the common goal of The Voice. I think we need to hopefully take that tone of language into the next year because I really worry, and there's a lot to unpack on The Voice, but I really worry that it's going to be a, a very divisive debate about, you know, a whole cohort of people who yeah. are the First Nations people of our country. Um, at a time, you know, people have been ignored by governments and, and been terribly destroyed by government over time. For sure. But... And I, I hope that language that the Prime Minister used in July is going to th- flow through to the whole goal of government approach and the whole of the campaign, both sides in relation to The Voice. Hack on Triple J.